0: Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 145, verses 1 through 20. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Our generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord. And your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever.
1: We are uh, taking a break from our study in Romans and we are looking at the gift of God the Father. Now, we are studying today the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Now, just so you understand the difficulty of being a pastor, trying to preach on the holiness of God. i got to get you on my side. There are 602 passages in your Bible talking about the holiness of God. 602 possible sermons. I had to narrow that down to about 20, and then narrow that down... It's about 11. So before complaining about the number of points we have this morning, it could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. Um, We used to have a tradition, churches in general, at least in America, of calling this room a sanctuary. Sanctuary. Uh, You know what that means? That means a place that's holy. Place that whole that's holy. And it basically came from Psalms uh, forty-six that the dwelling place where God dwells is holy. And it's it's an interesting thing. The problem, of course, was that Psalm was talking about Jerusalem, talking about the temple. Okay? And since this is not the temple, it's kind of hard to call it the sanctuary, that it's holy. But that's one of the things that we take maybe to an extreme that maybe we shouldn't. But there are a lot of other passages that talk about the holiness of God that we don't take as extreme as we should. So hopefully I picked 11 good ones this morning that will help you understand the extreme holiness of God. And like... uh, Maybe coming into a great sanctuary or a great church, uh, you'll uh, have a little bit difference awe and respect of God. The holiness of God. Well, let's start at the very beginning. First off, what is holiness? What is holiness? Uh, I went to a lot of dictionaries to try to find a good definition. Uh, this is the shortest and sweetest one I liked. God's holiness depicts a moral purity, depicts a moral purity, and the excellency of God. The excellency of God. Uh, There are two aspects to God's holiness. One is his nature is holy. His nature is holy. In other words, his essence is holy. The metaphysical relationship God has to holiness it's a spiritual dimension. And second, the morals of God are holy. The morals of God are holy. In other words, his actions uh, carry out a moral dimension. So he is holy and he acts holy. God is holy. The basic word holiness means a apartness, a partness, a separation. God is separate from all that is morally impure and evil. God makes standards that go with his holiness or moral nature. God has an infinite amount of holiness. So God is holiness. God is holiness. So that leads us to the next question. Who is holy? Well, I've already hinted at it. Take your Bibles and turn to 1st Peter, chapter 1. 1st Peter chapter 1 drop down to verse 15. 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 15. 1st Peter 1 verse 15. But like the holy one who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior. The Bible talks a lot about the holiness of God. He gets the title, the Holy One, 53 times in the Bible. So who is holy? God is the model of all holiness. God is the model of all holiness. If you want to know what holiness is, you have to know who God is. The Holy One. He's called the Holy One. Common title for God the Father. The holiness of God is His complete purity and the standard of righteousness to which the whole universe must conform. The Holy One who called you. God gave you a divine calling. The redemptive purpose saved you so that you could be holy like Him. The holiness of God. Who else is holy? Who's holy? Turn to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15. Isaiah 57 verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever. The high and exalted one is God the Father who lives forever, whose name is, what's the word? Holy. Holy. The name is holy. The holiness of the name, the holiness is the name of God the Father. Holiness is the name of God the Father. Name of God. God is holy. His name is holy. He associates with holiness. He is holiness. All that is holy is God. God is the measure of holiness. God's holiness is his very name. The holiness is the greatest title of honor and a sign of his character, whose name is holy? holiness, the essential character of his being. Okay, finish writing, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I have hit upon a jewel this week. You know, in the past, when we've had uh, sermons about the glory of God, and uh, Bible series about glory of God, especially in Revelation, you know, I would say, I don't know exactly what glory is. Okay, because it's too big, I can't get a good definition of it. I found one, okay? A pastor wrote this. I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. He wrote this. This was incredible. I loved it. This is going to be, we talked about bumper stickers. This is going to be on my bumper sticker, okay? Here you go. This is good. Pastor's no longer alive. He was one of, you know, he's one of the guys I read. I read dead guys. So they're the best theologians. Anyway, he wrote, quote, by the holiness of God, we mean the unity and harmony in him of every act of moral goodness in its highest measure, or rather beyond measure, this forms his distinguishing glory. Oh, come on, I did a better dance than that when y'all read this. This is good. The holiness of God, we mean the unity and harmony in him of every act of moral goodness. In other words, holiness. In its highest measure, the highest measure is holiness, or rather beyond measure, this forms his distinguishing glory. I have my definition now for glory. It is the holiness of God. It is the holiness of God. It is the complete holiness of God that goes beyond measure. That holiness that goes beyond measure is His glory. And someday we'll share in that glory. We'll share in that holiness. One day we will no longer have this boundary with sin, this temptation to sin, this desire to sin. No longer will sin have that pleasing temporary satisfaction. It will be gone. And we will share in the glory of God forever. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. So we know who the, the person that's holy. We know it's God the Father. God the Father is holy. He's the definition, the measure, the model of holiness. Now, what is the nature of holiness? How does God describe His holiness to us? How do we understand what His holiness is? Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Uh, We just got done studying this a few days ago. okay? And you all remember everything in 1 John, so this will be a reminder. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. Verse 5. This is the measure we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is light and there is no darkness in him at all. When we studied 1 John 5, we talked about how light is the holiness of God. The holiness of God. His holiness is completely free from darkness. So let's put it this way. What is the nature of holiness? God's holiness is completely free from evil. Completely free from evil. There's no possible connection to God being holy and evil. It has to come from outside of God. God is not evil. He is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. 1 Samuel 2 says, "...there is no one holy like the Lord." God is the one that is holy, and he is completely free from darkness. The essence and nature of God is absolute light, absolute holiness. Because of the standard of God's holiness, no one lacking perfect righteousness can have a fellowship with him. That's why when Jesus died, he took upon our sins, and we took upon ourselves by his work, his righteousness, his righteousness, so that we could have fellowship with, with God. Through through the life of Jesus Christ, we've come to know who God is, and that light is the source of holiness, which gives us the source of ethics. That determines what is right and what's wrong. Light refers to being the source of salvation. No darkness at all. That's a great Greek word. It's a unique word. It's talking about literally being devoid of light. It's a double negative. So it's as strong as you can say in Greek. You're, stra- you're saying st- as strong as possible. Literally, you're saying, no darkness not is, not one bit. God is not one bit of darkness, not one bit. Or you could say, and darkness there is not in him. No, not in any way. It's making an underlying emphasis that there is Light and there is darkness. And God is light. God is holy. He's nowhere near evil. Nowhere near sin. With God, there's not one single trace of darkness. He is holy. He is holy. Second, what is the nature of holiness? Turn to James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Now, after 1 John, we studied James. So you have this even more fresh in your memory. Okay? And you remember everything we said about James, and you remember what we said about James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot be tempted by evil. That is something we go through every hour, something God does not go through. There is no temptation. Put it this way, what's the nature of holiness? God's holiness is completely free from the temptation to do evil. He's free from the temptation to do evil. There is nothing that will tempt him to do anything evil. He is never even tempted. To do evil because he is light, no darkness. He is holy and there is no temptation for him. He never thinks about it. He never worries about it. He never fights against it. He never has the ability to be tempted to do something evil. He is free from the pollution of sin and he cannot sin. It's impossible. He cannot be sinful. He's completely holy. Not one part of him. Is has the ability to be tempted to do evil. He's literally untemptable. Untemptable. There's nothing in him that has a tendency to do wrong. There can be nothing presented from without him, outside of him, to induce him to do wrong. Nothing inside, nothing from outside. Nothing can make him do anything evil. He is completely and totally 100% holy in everything He does. He Himself does not tempt anyone. Temptation does not come from Him, for He tempts no one to do evil. God tests your faith to produce your growing faith, but He does not test you with sin. He does not tempt you. It's not a temptation that comes from God. There's not one. The sinner cannot blame God for his sin. So, his nature is completely free of evil. His ability to even be tempted can't be done. And third, what is the nature of holiness? Turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to take, let you get, have a few moments to get to Habakkuk. It's back where your gold edges of your Bible still exist. Okay, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to look at this. Let me tell you about the problems they have in Habakkuk chapter 1. They have a problem. Israel is being uh, attacked. The Chaldeans are coming in and attacking them. And Habakkuk is the prophet at the time, and he's trying to encourage the people. But the problem is the people have sinned, and of course a holy God has to deal with sin. And he must do something, and he sends the Chaldeans to clean up their act of Israel. The problem is the Chaldeans are the worst sinners. The Habakkuk knows, okay? So can you imagine that? Let's say uh, let's say there's sin in our church, and God uses I don't know uh, a motorcycle club to come and clean us out and get us to repent of our sins. He picks the most sinful sinners to attack our church, to get us disciplined by God. Now Habakkuk is the preacher, and he says, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Is God giving approval to evil? Is he approving the evil people and blessing them by having victory over us godly people? Here you go. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Isn't that a great title? That's a good way to start your prayer. (laughs) Okay. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge us. You, the rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked is swallowed up? Who's more righteous than they? In other words, he's trying to answer the question. And he comes with the answer that God's eyes are too pure to approve of evil. Third, God's holiness is completely free from even the ability to approve evil. God cannot approve evil in any way. Therefore, if you have a non-believing friend, (coughs) God does not approve of their sin. And if you have a habitual sin that you like to commit when nobody's watching or your pastor's not watching, if you have a habitual sin... God is not happy. He cannot approve of any evil. God demonstrates his holiness by judging sin. And here he's got sin in Israel. He's going to have to deal with it. He uses the Chaldeans to do it. The holy one, the all holy in himself one. He's holy in his nature, his law, his government, his mercy, his judgment. He has to take care of the sin. By the way. The answer to Habakkuk's question comes in chapter 2, <laughs> if you want to read on later. The answer comes that God is holy and pure and cannot approve evil. He cannot approve that one speck of evil in you. The holiness of God will not leave the sin of Israel unpunished. God has to punish the evil. And he will not, he will not also punish the evil nation God uses to carry out the punishment. God will take care of every evil, and he does not give favor to evil. So, that's Habakkuk's problem. That's Habakkuk's answer from God. God is completely free from approving evil. And fourth, in your insert, I got the little box there, God's holiness is seen in all his works, in all his works. Everything he does shows his holiness. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Psalm 145 verse 17. So God in his essence is free from evil. He cannot do anything evil. He cannot be tempted by something evil. He can't be tempted from his insides and he can't be tempted from his outsides. He cannot do it. He does not show favor on evil. He doesn't bless evil. Um, the one uh, Dear Abby newspaper—I think I told you about it already. The Dear Abby somebody wrote a letter to Dear Abby, and Dear Abby responded by saying, "Sometimes an, an affair helps a marriage." Okay, bad advice, Dear Abby. Okay, it doesn't help your marriage. You cannot have God's blessing and do evil. God will always deal with it. Now, what are the two key works whereby God shows His holiness? What are the two key works that God shows His holiness? Turn to Romans chapter 1. Now, again, we've covered chapter 1, just like we covered James, just like we covered 1 John. Hopefully this is all review for you. We're going to go to... Verse 2, Romans 1, verse 2. And you probably out loud answer my questions because you know Romans 1 so well. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (sighs) Here you go. Romans chapter 1 verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the what's the word? Holy scriptures. Holy Scriptures. Uh, This is the only time in the the Bible where he calls his Scripture holy. Uh, Timothy, he calls it sacred Scriptures. Not the same thing. Holy Scripture. Here we have the definition of what the Bible is. The Bible is holiness. And it's holy. So put it this way. What are the two key works that God does to show his holiness. God's holiness is clearly seen in his holy Bible. In his holy Bible. In order for you to know what holiness is, you have to know the Bible. In the Bible, God displays what his holiness is. And you respond by studying the holiness of God in the Holy Scriptures, and you then are able to learn about God and apply some of that holiness to your life. Okay? Now, the problem we have in our society today, living in the year, what what year is it? 2019. The problem you have is you live in America, and in America you have a bookstore, Christian bookstore, and you go in there, and there are 42 shelves of Bibles. Now, where is Satan most actively at work? Well, most actively, he's in churches working. And guess one of the, one of the things Satan loves to do? He loves to change the Word of God. Okay? Remember Eve, just first one? Did God really say? Satan, from the beginning of time, has always tried to get you to doubt the Word of God. And now in our society, one of the ways he gets you to doubt is by giving you Bibles that don't display the holiness of God. That don't display the holiness of God. There are Bibles... Okay, I didn't want to tell you this. Uh, I got a book from an author who, in my opinion, is a false teacher. Biblically, what do you do with a book that comes from a false teacher? Well, you don't put it in the trash can. You don't, you don't sell it at a used bookstore. What do you do? What do they do next? They took it and burned it. So I put it in the burn file the other day. Now, don't go digging through my burn pile, okay? Because I'm going to burn it next time I can burn that burn pile. There are a number of Bibles now that I think need to be in that burn pile. And I want you to stay away from them. Okay? Here you go. There are three different formations of Bibles. There are three different ways to translate your Bible. Well, there you go. First Bible you should have is a Greek Bible and a Hebrew Bible. Okay? Those are the two best Bibles. Now, with the archaeology and the scholarship, those are the best Bibles to understand the Word of God. Now, the problem is, most of you don't understand Hebrew or Greek. That's the problem. You only understand bitter, poor English. Okay, So, we have to translate it from Greek and Hebrew into English. Now, there are three different ways of doing it. At the bottom of the page, you have to do it by paraphrase. Paraphrase. This type of translation conveys the translator's understanding of the ideas in the Bible. The ideas in the Bible. He takes the idea and puts it into English. In other words, what he is doing is he's giving you a commentary on the Bible while he's trying to transform Greek and Hebrew into English. Matter of fact, most paraphrases don't come from Greek and Hebrew. You know where they come from? (laughs) They come from English Bibles. So they're translating basically English Bibles into English that the people can understand. And they try to take the difficult things in your Bible and make it easy. And that's a problem. Because that man has a sin nature. And he's trying to take the inspired Word of God and change it into something that it's not. Second, the middle line. The middle line are books of the Bible that are translated thought for thought. They read the Greek and Hebrew and they say, okay, this is what he means. And then they try to translate that into English and think that's what it means. Thought for thought. Paraphrase tries to get into the lowest language, describing it however he can describe it. The middle guys try to translate it from thought to thought. Okay? Now, the biggest problem is, in my opinion, the New International Version, the NIV. That was very popular when I was going through school. And I was preaching out of the NIV. And you know what I was doing every Sunday? I was saying, well, really, the Greek word doesn't mean that. It means this. And I was constantly having to translate the translator, translated Bible. Translate. So I was trying to correct the bad commentary in the Bible with my translation of what the word means from the Greek. And many times what I was getting was a different sermon. So you and, and, and then you got the New Living, you got Contemporary English, you got Good News Bible. All of them go thought by thought. Okay? You do not know where the translating, translation ends and where the commentary begins. So in other words, you can't take a word and claim that as your own. You have to take a thought and claim that as your own and hope that their commentary is correct about the meaning of the word. Thought for thought, it takes away the divine glory of revelation by being cons- concerned about the human reader rather than the divine author. That's the problem. They are, they are caring about the reader, rather than the author. So that's thought for thought. The people above the line, translate word for word. Word for word. They try to have a literal translation, that is transparent, with the original Greek and Hebrew. So, when you see a problem... In understanding the Greek and Hebrew, they don't try to solve it. They just bring it into the English. And they say that's the problem with that word meaning this. It goes word for word. So it tries to be very specific and very loyal to the original Greek and Hebrew. Literal translation presses for the full potential of the original text. A liberal a literal translation does not mislead you by mixing commentary with translation work. With some Bibles below that first line, both of them, you don't know where God's speaking and where man is speaking. And that's a problem. Because you know what sinful men try to do, they try to make things easy for you to sin. They try to make things easy for you to not be holy. In order to be holy, you got to know what the Holy Scripture is. So, a literal translation preserves theological precision of what the text means. A literal translation preserves the, <laughs> the lack of a need for the preacher to correct the translation. The literal translation preserves and exalts the dignity and beauty of the Bible. The literal translation, word for word, most consistent with the doctrine of plenary and verbal inspiration. We believe the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew and every word was specific, intended by God and inspired by God. If you take an English translation, it's a paraphrase, you don't know what is inspired. You can't say that about that Bible. And if you can't say that about the Bible and how it was translated, it probably is good for my burn pile. If you can't trust the words and the work. So if you want to buy a Bible for somebody this year, I have four choices for you. Okay. Pick it and give it to them. If you have a Bible below that first line, bring it to Pastor David's office, and he'll buy you a new one. Okay? Okay, here you go. God's Word is holy. God's Word is holy. That's a key work that God did to give you principles of holiness. Second... What are two key works of God's holiness? We've got to go to number two. Second key work of God, Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Guess what? We've not been in this book. So, it may take us a little while to figure it out. But let's look at it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Verse 22. Everybody there? Here we go. Yet he has now reconciled you, he being Jesus Christ, reconciled you in his fleshly body, Jesus Christ when he was here on earth, reconciled you through his body, through death on a cross, in order to present you before him, God the Father, holy and blameless. Holy and blameless beyond reproach. Holy and blameless beyond reproach. In other words... God created a holy Bible for you to study. Second, he also went to a cross through Jesus Christ so your holiness, God's holiness would be seen in the work of the cross by Jesus Christ. God's holiness is clearly seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, because of the cross, because of you placing your faith and trust in the cross, you can be reconciled to a holy God. And you being reconciled with the holy God begins a life that has one goal, to be holy, to be holy. You want to be more holy this week than you were last week. You want to be more holy next month than you were this month. You want to be holy next year or two years from now than you were now. You want to be more holy. And eventually you'll get to heaven and God will make you holy. By the way, the tools he does that here on earth is through the word of God. Through the word of God, you get knowledge of what the word of God is and what holiness is. And then God does a work through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Reconciles you. Reconciles you. The means of reconciling you is the death of Christ. The object of making you, the death of Christ is to make you holy. To make you holy. You want to be before Him, holy. And God works to make you holy through the Word of God. So God did two great works to get you to be holy. And if you look at your life and you honestly say you're living a sinful life, It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. You're still lost in your sin. If you see your life gaining in holiness, that's a good indication that you're a believer. You're gaining in holiness. You're looking forward to the day you'll be free from the presence of sin and the ability to sin. And you will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. Now, One thing I wanted to do with this topic is real quickly talk about the results of God's holiness. God has given you two works. He's given you uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and He's given you holy scriptures. With those two things, God does some great work in you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Now in Hebrew, there's no... Way to change great to greater. Or no way to change great to greater or greatest. You can't add those things in Hebrew. So the way what you do in Hebrew is you repeat the word over and over again. And what you do is if you really want to talk about the greatest, you go, tomato, tomato, tomato. And you got one great tomato. Okay? So here we go. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. By the way, now I know a definition of glory. It's connected to the holiness of God being seen. Glory, holy, holy, holy. 30 times in Isaiah, he calls God the Father, the holy one, the holy one. Isaiah says God is holy, holy, holy. He's the greatest thing holy. He says it to the best way he can. Verse 4, The foundation of the thresholds trembled, and the voice of him who called out. The temple was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me! I am so happy I'm in the presence of the holy God. Is that what he said? No. When he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and all his holiness. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim threw me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sins forgiven. One of the first things that happens when you experience the holiness of God, you, the God's holiness convicts you of your sin and your need to confess that sin. If you meet with God, either in your own Bible study, or a Bible study here at church or a sermon here at church, you meet with God, one of the things that happens, you see the holiness of God, you see your sinfulness. You see your sinfulness. And if you have an automatic reaction to the holiness of God, you see yourself sinner. And you need forgiveness. Forgiveness comes by the work on the cross and through the Holy Scriptures. You turn to it as your only hope. You turn to God. You ask forgiveness. If it's your first time, you'll be saved and born again. If it's your 39th year of doing it, He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you and restore you. And God will take care of you. Second, what are the results of God's holiness? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Come on now. Don't get tired on me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. For they disciplined us, talking about dads, short time, it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his, what? Holiness. 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 God convicts a person with his holiness so that he turns towards a desire for holiness. God wants when you're saved to seek holiness. When you go to a Bible study, he wants you to leave because you want to seek his holiness. You hear a sermon. If the sermon's prepared by the Holy Scriptures, the sermon wants you to seek holiness. Every desire that a person has through the Holy Scripture and the work of God, and the work of Christ on the cross is holiness. He wants you to be holy. And sometimes you don't listen to the word You don't remember the work on the cross, and then God disciplines you. He brings brings admonishment into your life. Now, I'm not saying every time you have a bad day, it's the admonishment of God, but sometimes it is. And I can't figure out which one it is, but when it happens, He wants you to seek holiness. He wants you to seek holiness. God does everything so that you'll seek holiness. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. What are the results of God's holiness? Third, God's holiness does, Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be, what's the word? Holy. Holy. For the I, the Lord, your God, am, what's the word? Holy. Holy. God's holiness is to be imitated by his people. In the Old Testament, they were supposed to do it by works. New Testament, we do it by faith. God's holiness convicts a person towards righteous action. Your holiness should be seen in your righteous actions. Your holiness cannot be seen in sinful actions. does not work that way. Your righteousness is to be seen in righteous actions. Holiness. God's holiness. God is holy. We must be a holy people. God is holy. We need to be a holy church. God is holy. You need to have a holy marriage. God is holy. You need to have a holy family. You are to desire holiness in everything you do. You're to desire righteousness. You're desire to be like your heavenly father each and every day. Holiness. That's why you're different than the world. That's why you act different. That's why you talk different. That's why you get angry different. You are different. Your desire in your life is to be holy. Our desire is to help you be holy. Fourth. Psalm 30, verse 4. Psalm 30, verse 4. Running out of time. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones. Okay? Fourth. And give thanks to His holy name. And give thanks to His holy name. Fourth. God's holiness convicts a person towards worship, towards praise, towards exalting his holy name. You have a natural tendency to do these four things because of the holiness of God. You want to praise him. You want to do righteous acts. You you want to be forgiven of your sins. You want to do this because God is holy. God's holiness. Holiness is... Brings you to worship. If you try to come to church and worship and you're living in sin, it's not going to work. If you wanna if you're living in sin, it doesn't matter what you put in the offering plate. If you're living in sin, it doesn't matter how good the preaching is. You're not pleasing God. He's separated from evil. Your holiness is seen in your praise. Practical application. Will I have a daily desire to share in my God's holiness? Will I daily want to share in the holiness of God? As I daily warn people about the coming wrath that's due to, here you go, I made up a word, anti-holiness. Wrath will come because of you doing anti-holiness. You want to to be part of God's holiness. Tell you a quick story. Oh my goodness, that clock is running fast. I hate that clock. Okay, here we go. I was a youth pastor. And my guys were excited. I had all the guys in my youth group excited. Because it rained the day before in Southern California. It doesn't happen to all of them. But it rained hard the day before. Therefore, the guys wanted to go and play football. Okay, now, uh, admittedly, maybe the idea started with my thoughts, but anyway, we got all the guys together to come to the park and play in a perfect, actually the high school, a perfect place to play football, and it was muddy, it was muddy, it was more muddy than anything else you've seen muddy, and we played football, and we played tackle, and we were getting muddy everywhere. Mud, 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 everywhere. Sunday afternoon, I had to get back to church, so I had to be the first one to leave. I said, hey, see you guys. And you know what they noticed when I said, see you guys? Was that I was the only one not covered in mud. So Adam, one of my leaders in the high school group, said, how come you're not covered with mud like we are? And I said, well, I'm a better football player than you. <laughs> anyway, so I had, instead of 11 guys on my team, 10 guys on my team, I had 22 guys against me, 21 guys against me. So they tried, and the, well, they did a good job. They got me all muddy. They tackled me. and Anyway, you don't want to hear that. Anyway, at that time, in the middle of the group, I was holy because I was clean. They were dirty and muddy. But I was cleaning. There was a difference. You can see it. You can see it. Your holiness can be seen this week. Can be seen by your spouse. Seen by your kids. Seen by your co-workers. You can see everything. Everybody can see it. Because you will live differently than they do. My desire for you is to be Holy. Because your God is holy. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. pray, Father, you would help us this day to glorify you in everything we say and do. I pray, Father, that you would be with us, that you would be glorified, that you would present yourself through your holy scriptures, through the holy work and the cross, that we can be holy. And help us, Father, to do so with your power to give you the glory as we share in your holiness. Yes, Father, that's our desire. Help us to be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.